right, everybody, welcome back to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm mm-hmm. Travis Polly, Wes McAdams, joining me again here in the oh, studio. As you were going to say, I'm Travis Polly and Wes McAdams. And Wes wow. McAdams. And Speaking of collective identities. Professor Kirkwood <laughs> Hello. Has joins us again today. Welcome back. Yes, it's, as always, it's good to be back. You're a series regular now. I know. I, yeah. I didn't really expect that, to be honest. It it's just pretty cool. worked out that way. This is yeah. what, the sixth episode that Caleb sixth has Sixth episode, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's right. That's fantastic. We, we record these two at a time, so it's only yeah. been three weeks, but by the time that it's listened to, it'll it be feels six like weeks much longer. That. Yeah. Um, no. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, All right. today's then topic. I yeah, that, yeah, that sounded rather <laughs> negative, didn't it? No, 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 no. Today's topic, though. We need lots of voices in the room, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about this. And I'm glad that, that topics around the Holy Spirit continue to come up because mm-hmm. I think that we don't talk enough about Him, not it, but Him. I, I think we don't talk enough about the Spirit of God. And you even mentioned, Travis, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you mentioned that one of the reasons that topic is so difficult is because even talking about the Spirit at all is right. is difficult for us, and, and we don't typically do that. And and, and a lot of that is because I, I'm sure of the last 2,000 years of church history and charismatic movements and, and all of those things. Um, but I think it's good not just to talk about other ideas or other doctrines revolving around the Holy Spirit, but also just get into the text and talk about what the, the text actually says about, about the Spirit. So today, our question that we got from Tavares, uh, one of our listeners, he asked, what does the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit mean? And I love that phrase, and it comes from Titus chapter 3. I would It would be best if I read the entire book of Titus, but I won't read the entire book of Titus, but I will read the context because I think it's incredibly important to read the context anytime we have a question about what does a passage mean. And so I'm going to read Titus 3. I'm going to read 1 through 11 for us. Um, But uh, of course, Titus is a book written by Paul to his preaching companion, uh, Titus, uh, who's working in Crete. And and here's what he says in chapter 3. He says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and love Loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Okay, so... There's the context, and obviously the passage that we're talking about comes from verse 5, Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Uh, but but I, I think 
if we're just going to kind of give an overview, like what does this mean? Well, it means in the context, it means that salvation is a work of God, not not your own work. You don't save yourself. It is a gift of God. Paul says the same thing throughout all of his books. He says that this is a gift of God. And so um, that 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 shapes and should shape our thinking about salvation. And that's that's his whole point here, is that salvation came to all of us who were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions of pleasure, et cetera, et cetera. And God poured out his spirit and poured out his grace and saved us. This is his doing. And in response to that, we should be uh, devote ourselves to good works and not to this other way of living. So that's what it means. It means God saves us, and we don't save ourselves, but we're not going to end there. We're going to continue to discuss. But any any thoughts pr- uh, before we before we dive into it a little deeper that you guys want to share? Um, well, this will probably go, come up a little bit more in the uh, deep dive section, so to speak, but um, it's just very interesting how uh, from the passage in verse 5, we and other places concerning the Holy Spirit, we get the the different works of the Spirit, mm-hmm. um, and especially the work of the Holy Spirit in regard to our salvation. Yeah. Which, that was when I first kind of read through this. That's where, in kind of keeping the question in mind, that's where my brain immediately went to. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that that's a great point. And we don't often think about that, I think— I, 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 I think we don't think about that very often. I, I, I don't know that that is, is a part of the typical, at least I should say, the way I grew up thinking. I never really thought much about the role of the Spirit in salvation. We tend to think about the, the role of the Spirit in, in the, the apostles' work. We tend to think about the role of the Spirit in Jesus' work. But we don't necessarily think about the role of salvation. And I guess we even think about the role of the Spirit maybe even in the ongoing sanctification process of bringing out this good fruit in us and changing us and those kind of things. Uh, but but we don't necessarily think about it in—think about the role of the Spirit and His work um, in our initial salvation. But but this obviously is— this this point, this conversion, not just conversion in in change of of what we do, but change in who we are. This this re in fact that's the word I really want to focus on first is is regeneration, which really means recreation. Um and and he says that in fact it's it's interesting how the the phrase is put together, but this washing of regeneration. And the English word regeneration is actually a really good word uh, because generate comes from genesis, you know, this beginning. So it's a regeneration. The the Greek word is palingenesia, and it's only used—this may be something—were you planning on getting into the palingenesia? No. Okay. Uh, well, Caleb is a, is a grad <laughs> student, so every time I, I, I start getting into the Greek, I feel a little bit nervous because he's had Greek a lot more recently than I have. I'm not a 
I'm, my professors can attest that I'm not the best uh, Greek student. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not either. So, but but this word only comes up twice in the New Testament. Palingenesia comes up twice. Once is Jesus saying about the world to come. Uh, most translations say the new world, and he says that that in the new world, in when in, when the new creation happens, and he's talking about what's going to happen in the world to come. But in this case, it's almost like that new world begins in the Christian. Mm-hmm. And so, in, in fact, the the Greek philosophers, the Stoics, would talk about a palingenesia. They would talk about, they believed that the world went through cycles of destruction and regenesis, recreation, renewal. And so they, they pictured the world as continually going through these types of cycles, that it would come to an end, and then there would be another one. In the, in the scriptures, there's only two palingenesias. There, well, uh, we, I guess we could talk about it in multiple ways, but there was the flood, and so there was a recreation, a new world. Peter talks about it that way, that there is a new world after the flood, and then there is the, the new world that the Messiah brings about. And, and Jesus talks about that in the future. In fact, I was going to try to pull up, I should have had the, the passage where that uh, Jesus talks about that. Let's see, chapter 3 and verse 5. I'm talking, but I'm not. There we go. I'm sorry. Uh, I should have had that pulled up. It is Matthew 19, verse 28. So Jesus says, truly, or truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So that new world, that word there is palingenesia. And again, Jesus is talking about in in the age where he rules and what will happen with the apostles. And, And so there is this expectation of recreation, new creation. And Paul says that begins in us. And we can see that throughout Paul's writings in that when you are in Christ, he says in 2 Corinthians, when you're in Christ, you are new creation. So the palingenesia, the new world, the new creation has already begun in us. And so Paul is saying that we, all of us, were were passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But God, in his goodness and loving kindness, he saved us, not because of our own good works, but because of who he is, according to his mercy, in the washing of recreation, regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is bringing about new creation in each and every one of of God's people that are that are again we could use the the terminology that Jesus uses in the book of John and that's being born again regenerated renewed recreated it gives me an appreciation for you know the the larger questions of life you know what you know why is there pain and suffering well maybe because God intends to make something beautiful out of something dirty out of something horrible out of something wretched I think about we come to Christ as wretched sinners and he offers redemption, regeneration. Mm -hmm. And part of that process is what's on the other side of it. And I think that's, you know, there's two, I think there's definitely two big reasons why the spirit is so hard to talk about partially because we live in a very secular culture and that's a very intangible thing to try to wrap our minds around. But I think also it's because 
with Jesus in the salvation story. You have you have the judge, God as the judge, and then you have his son coming to intercede on our behalf. There's a story in that. But the story of the spirit is future tense. It's what do you, what do we do now? What do we do now that we're saved? What do we do now that we're clean? And this you know, I think what as we, you know, read through that part of Titus, that's what I kept coming back to is that the spirit is changing us to do good works and it's it's again it's such an important part of the redemption process that it's not just you're redeemed okay now what it's you know the spirit is going to make is going to turn you into something that can make something beautiful Mm -hmm. out of something that was dirty and Mm -hmm. horrific and Mm -hmm. wretched you now get to participate in that regeneration process yeah, I think I think that that idea of of dirty becoming clean or broken becoming mended or sick becoming healed, I think that's exactly what's going on. I think that's a, that's a really good point and I love that he ties that the washing and the regeneration together. And a lot of people have struggled, commentators have struggled over the years with the role that that baptism plays here, because obviously Paul doesn't say anything in this text about baptism, but he but it sounds so very similar to so many things that he says, like in Colossians or in Romans 6 or all of these different places. And I think that we do see a tie between the role of the Spirit that is doing the washing and the regenerating and baptism. Not that not that we believe in baptismal regeneration. It isn't being baptized that regenerates a person. Obviously, Paul says here it's the Spirit that does the regenerating. It's the Spirit who who raises to life. But at what point does that happen? Well, that happens. Romans six, Paul describes it as happening in baptism. Not that I'm saving myself or I'm regenerating myself by the act of me submitting to baptism, but the Spirit is regenerating me when I submit to Jesus, when I die to myself and I'm buried with him. That's what you do with a dead person. You bury him. And then there's resurrection. And so resurrection, renewal, recreation, regeneration, all of this is the work of God through his Spirit, and it happens when we're baptized. And that's why baptism Baptism is this not only symbolic thing that's happening, but a very tangible. Again, I think we tend to discount the tangible. We we tend to discount the importance of breaking bread, sharing cup, ba- being baptized in actual water, and 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 we we tend to say, well, that's just a symbol, or yeah, that's just symbolic. Well, it doesn't mean that that because there's a symbol involved, that it isn't actually significant and part of God's plan. And it gives us this point at which each of us can look back and say, I remember that. The way Israel could look back and say, we remember both literally because they were there or because that story was handed down to them from their their ancestors. We remember passing through the Red Sea. We remember coming out of slavery and into freedom. And each of us can look back at our crossing of the sea, our baptism, and we can look back and say, I remember when I was dead, but now I've been brought to life. Now I've been regenerated. Now I've been recreated. Now I've been reborn by, Jesus says, by the water and by the Spirit. There's a washing of our body, but more importantly, there's a washing of our whole self. 
and a regeneration that happens not because of the water or not because I'm obedient and I did what I was supposed to do so I can check it off of a list, but because the Spirit is at work, because He's doing that work, and it, and it is tied to our baptism. Yeah. Um, this Honestly, this conversation ties really well with the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit conversation, just in the kind of the behind the scenes stuff that's going on in the back of my head Yeah. of whenever we think of uh, baptism in kind of nominal sense of what, what happens, we go from a state of death to a state of life, from mm-hmm. a state of guilt to a state of uh, pardon. Mm-hmm. That's a good word, yeah. Um, which... Yes, that that judge that judgment scene uh, is there for a reason because it plays out very well in what we actually do mm-hmm. when we commit a crime. We get punished. When we commit a sin, we should be punished. Um, and we and in that courtroom scene style, uh, the Holy Spirit is more or less that stamp of approval of you've been vindicated, you've been pardoned. Which yes. We have, but then that's as far as it goes, Mm. which if that's the, as far as you can spiritually attain, then great. It's worthwhile. But if you only, if you keep it in the just only uh, category, you miss out on so much, Mm -hmm. especially because, which that kind of cultural background is the reason why the Holy Spirit is such a enigmatic, scary uh, person of the Trinity uh, in the blasphemy, especially when we talk about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, we only think of him as an it that Mm -hmm. kind of says, uh, I've been sealed by God, I was dead, uh, but or I was guilty, now I'm pardoned. Mm -hmm. But if you kind of take of it, uh, the, the sin problem, the original, the original sin context Mm -hmm. this also pairs well with that in the back of my head (laughs) yeah we a few weeks ago we talked about that as well the original sin and and uh the sinful nature and that kind of a thing yeah right if you take if you go back and listen to that and take the uh concept of humanity as a concept or as a people is infected with sin yeah and if you take that okay jesus is the great physician yeah he's he's called that for a reason and the Holy Spirit, it, it, the blood and spirit are the means and medication to yeah. heal the body. Yeah. Which, um, hopefully there's going to be a vaccine for the COVID, but <laughs> if you want to take that little, yeah. let's take this little tangent with me. Um, when you uh, receive medication, it, the initial act of putting, it, putting the IV in your system or taking that, that pill, mm-hmm. you've come... From, You've and you have taken in, and now that medication is within you. You've come from a state of, I'm contaminated. Now I'm not. I'm cured. Yeah. But you're not healed. Yeah. You must let the medication germinate to grow within you and take care of what, yeah, uh, the virus or bacteria or whatever that's going on inside you. Yeah. So if you want to. 
Well, that's, I mean, that you're hitting on so many really important things, I think, and, and distinguishing between the way we tend to think about salvation. What does it mean to be saved? Mm-hmm. And so, so many times, I think you use the word pardon, and I think that that's exactly what we think we mean by saved. We What we think we mean by saved is, I was guilty, but now I've been pardoned, and, and that's as far as we go with it. And that's true, for sure that's true. But also, the Paul's Paul's argument in Romans 7 and Romans 8 is that humanity is is involved in this ongoing struggle and cycle of sin and death, and that Jesus breaks that cycle and that he begins to heal us and change us, and using Paul's word here, regenerate us through the work of the Spirit, that we are becoming something different. So it isn't just that we are forgiven, but that we are we are recreated. We are human being. I I like to I like to think about about it in terms you were using metaphors about sickness and and and, and cures and healing, I like to think about it in terms of hardware and software. And so there's a sense in which our software has already been upgraded to human being 2.0, but our hardware, our body, hasn't yet been upgraded to human 2.0. So we're, we're running on a future yeah. version. You're going to get a lot of problems with this. <laughs> <laughs> it, does, it, it does create this tension that says... I am new creation, but but I'm still in the flesh, and that's that's that that ongoing struggle and tension that we're that we're experiencing. But it, but it is it is phenomenal to in our last episode, Travis. You talked about identity, and and I think that that's part of of this right here is just recognizing and embracing the fact that we are we are part of creation 2.0 we are part of the new creation right now because the spirit has already begun to regenerate us to cause us to be part of this new creation and and that changes that changes not only our destiny but it changes how we live our changes our morality it changes our ethics it changes what we what we think life is all about and what we're doing with our life before we were selfish and we were all of these things that Paul describes in in that first part of Titus 3 and now we are regenerated so it it changes our entire outlook our entire purpose our entire goal what is our what is our new goal what is our new purpose what is our new way of living and and we have to embrace that that's what salvation means too it doesn't just mean i'm forgiven so i get to go to heaven someday it means i am i've already begun to be changed into this new kind of human being who is more aligned with what humans were supposed to be in the beginning, right. but we, we we were broken, and we were, to use that analogy of sickness, we were sick, and, and the Spirit is the cure, the Spirit is the healing, and we've already begun to be regenerated through the Spirit. Yeah, I think, man, you think about the question, what is salvation? It's like, I think of it now as, you got a job to do. You're saved. You got a job to do. Yeah. You know, you, you, and it's, it's not just you, you have a job. You get a job. Mm -hmm. You get the job of participating in God's redemption of mankind, of the earth, of, you know, and, and man, I can't think of a better way to spend, spend your life. And that, that's why, and, and I think the spirit's a vital part of that, that that's, you know, that's, that's how we partner with God. 
and because you know left to our own devices we are wretched human beings but in partnership with God by you know by by Jesus coming down and interceding for us and getting to become partners with God through the spirit you know we've actually got a fighting chance at at making things better around us and yeah. and starting with ourselves and then starting with you know and then yeah. and going out into the world and spreading the gospel well and i mean and that really plays into and i think it's important for us to see the gospel through the lens of genesis Mm -hmm. to see if we're going to understand what is salvation we have to understand what is creation in the first place what 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 did god intend where did it go wrong and how did god put it back on track because if if genesis is the first book of this story then it it introduces what is the story all about and it's not a story about heaven or hell it's not a story about where is your spirit going to go. Those, those things play into it, and those are p- important parts of the conversation, but that's not what it was about. It was about God creating these special, unique creatures that were made in his image to be his image bearers and to have rule and dominion over his creation, and then they fell, and they 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 did not they rebelled against his plan and then you see this continual cycle of sin and death sin and death sin and death and then Jesus comes and breaks that cycle and then gives us the spirit to help us to be like you said Travis to get back on track with what was our job supposed to be in the beginning to yeah. be the image bearers of God and it's only by the work of the spirit by the regeneration the palingenesia the new creation of the spirit that we can actually be the image bearers that human beings were intended to be in the beginning yeah and something that's really kind of interesting is um and in, in genesis 1 through 11 um you kind of it kind of goes from uh, especially after the fall it go it, the sin and death cycle compounds exponentially over time of it goes from bad to worse mm-hmm. from worse to worst <laughs> that's right <laughs> uh, you have oh we've been kicked out of paradise not great we're now we're subject to death and then we get the first murder and and by and conversely the first martyr mm-hmm. uh, in abel then after that you get uh the flood uh and then after that, our language is shattered in Babel, and it just keeps going from bad to worse to worst. Yeah. And then it all culminates to the focal point of the cross. Well, then it must, by, if we're going to follow this kind of pattern of going down, we must then come up mm-hmm. from worse to better to best. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit is... If the spirit of the, if you want to use uh, the language of spirit, the spirit of the world of sin and death goes from bad to worst, mm-hmm. and the spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, mm, goes from uh, good, better, best. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean it won't go come la- that way without a fight, mm-hmm. because even the creation, whenever during the uh, Genesis one through eleven fall or you still see the uh, the creation as it should have been mm-hmm. fighting back mm-hmm. in a sense with the flood, with uh, God stopping the uh, construction of Babel. Mm-hmm. So it, it would conversely make sense that the spirit of the age, the, the 
uh, the spirit of sin and death will also fight back in trying mm-hmm. to stop the better to best cycle. Yeah, that's that's so good. I, I love the way you put that, that, that that's what the spirit of the age does versus the spirit of God. And another way we might even think about it, since we're thinking about creation, it's almost like the spirit of the age that the flesh actually works uncreation. If the spirit brings new creation and recreation, then you could also say... You could also say that the spirit of the the age brings brings uncreation. It it, it brings and, and that's what when when we see in Genesis that that everything before and talking about the spirit, that that's what this that's what the spirit did, even in the very first chapters of the Bible, was the spirit brought creation, where there was tohu vavohu, where there was formlessness and void, where everything was chaotic and broken, and there was no there was no form to it, there was no structure to it, and then the spirit came, and things, as the days of creation unfold, we see things start to be ordered and structured, and then human beings are supposed to bring more order and more structure. But what sin does is it breaks down that, and it creates chaos, and that's what the spirit of the age does. I I love that you, you brought that out, Caleb, that spirit of the age. Because that's what the flesh does. That's what the the wickedness and sin do, is that they it, it it brings uncreation. Things devolve. They 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 lose their structure and form and what they're supposed to be. And and to think of ourselves not only as as the work of the spirit, that this is what the spirit has done. He's brought structure and order to our life, beauty where, like to use Travis's example, to to bring beauty where there was brokenness, but then also to to task us, give us the job of going into the world and to bring more order and more beauty and more structure and more form to take things that are broken and chaotic and and through the power and the work of the Spirit in us to help bring about what was supposed to be in the beginning. Man, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I, well, yeah, I mean, and and that, you know, we, you and I always talk about story mm-hmm. and that's, that's what's so much better to me than... This, when we talk about things like evangelism Mm -hmm. and we talk about sharing the good news, well, it's one thing to knock on somebody's door and and say, hey, you know where you're going to spend eternity? You're going to go to hell. And let me tell you, here's here's how you can not go to hell. And here's Jesus. (laughs) And and now you won't go to hell anymore. That that's one story. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's 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 reductionistic to the point of not being accurate. Uh, uh, that's the, the the most generous way I can say that. The story of the New Testament is so much richer. It's so much deeper. It's so much more inviting. It's so much more wonderful. It's so much more exciting. It's it is it's just mind blowing the story that we're being involved in and that we get to share with people that that when they because we we talk about sin and we talk about the afterlife and these things these are just very ethereal type of ideas but when we can talk to people about the world that they can see hey you, you turned on the news lately you see how the world is do you see how things are going do you like that what do you how, what are your feelings on the the state of the world 
what could bring about something better. Everybody's got all kinds of ideas about what could bring something better, but the gospel is the Spirit of God is bringing something better. Now, unfortunately, Christianity has been hijacked, or even that the word Christianity, or Christians, or the church, or whatever, and we've even accepted another story. And so when people hear, oh, yeah, Christians are going to help the world be a better place. Christians really have the answer. You know, that seems that seems uh, not only cliche, but, but it, I mean, it, it's something that would just be rejected offhand, but it's because I don't know that we have even really embraced the actual good news story of the palingenesia, the recreation that's come about through the work of the Spirit in us first, and then, and then emanating out from us to the world. We haven't embraced that, much less shared that with other people. So it's like I want I want to introduce people to an evangelism that's different and a good news that when I say different, I mean what the scriptures actually teach because it's so much better than, hey, you don't want to go to hell? Let me tell you right. the solution for not going to hell. Yeah, I think, you know, not reducing our faith and the work of the Spirit to something you can put on a billboard, you know, is yes. is so important because— you know we're live we're living in an age of you know the court of public opinion where we where we point across the way and we judge somebody with standards that we would never apply to ourselves and the reason we would never apply it to ourselves is because well i've got a story you know i yes i'm broken yes but i've got a story and i think that's so important that it you know if if you just list out the worst traits of somebody of of me you know, that would sound pretty bad. But if you heard the whole story, well, then it, it's not going to make everything okay. It's not going to make all my wretchedness okay. But it, it would give us some, I bet we'd have some common ground in there. I bet we could actually break that down and we, you know, everybody could relate to it. And, you know, so to get back to the idea of story, I think that's one reason it's so important because stories of, stories just one way that I think the spirit fixes broken things in in just establishing all the establishing the context you know yeah. because because context that's such a good word we're, we're not we're, we're none of us are you know i i think a fundamental belief of christians has been or, or at least should be that we're not we you and i are not the worst thing we've ever done we're not we're not we're not even a a collection of the worst things that we've ever done that we have you know Maybe we're more potential than reality, but but that's potential is exciting, and I think, man, that's that's something that Jesus I think proves in every single, you know, word that throughout the Gospels that that we yeah. that we read about him in, that he you know he says I came to I came to preach to the sinner I didn't come to talk to the righteous you know mm-hmm. I came to fix broken things, and he comes to some pretty broken people. And people that were deplorable, people that nobody else in society wanted to have anything to do with. And Jesus comes in and and he treats them like people. He treats them like, he treats them with respect, like their life is sacred, regardless uh, of the things that they've done. And I think that, man, that's a good start. Mm -hmm. That's a good start to recognize that everybody, everybody's got a story. You've got a story. I've got a story. And person across the way that we you know we'd love to shout down has a story and just 
going out again i i I, can't, I keep getting back to this idea of the the job of christians is to go out and fix something broken when i love how paul throws himself in you know we we keep talking about how broken humanity is and and i love i love how he tells he tells them this in the entire context he begins by saying be submissive to rulers and authorities be obedient be ready for every good work speak evil of no one avoid quarreling be gentle show perfect courtesy toward all people man all of that is so important i wish we could spend a whole episode on every single word there but then he says because because be nice to everyone be kind to everyone be gentle within every conversation you have because we ourselves were once foolish disobedient led astray and i love how paul throws himself in with that lot, because he says that's all of us. Mm -hmm. Even though Paul was an incredibly religious person, Paul was incredibly pious. If you had asked Paul before he met Jesus, if you had asked him before his road to Damascus experience, are you foolish, disobedient, led astray, slave to various passions and pleasures? Paul would be like, absolutely not. You know, that's not me. I deny all of these various passions and pleasures. But he realized that he was just as broken, just as sinful, just as wicked, just as much in need of the pouring out of the Spirit, the regeneration and renewal that the spirit brings and and let's let's talk just for a second about this idea of pouring out and going back to the idea of the story and and the bigger picture story of the fall of humanity the initial creation of humanity the fall of humanity and then the redemption of humanity through the people of Abraham and and how God promised that he was going to bring through Abraham's seed the Messiah, and and also along with the Messiah, we, we often talk about the way that the Old Testament prophesies about the Messiah, but I think sometimes we forget that wrapped up in all of those prophecies about the Messianic age was also prophecy about the work of the Spirit, mm-hmm. and that the work and the role of the Spirit in bringing palingenesia, in bringing recreation and renewal, was the the spirit was right there in the midst of all of that. So I'm just going to read a couple passages real quick from from various Old Testament prophets. Ezekiel um, talks a lot about what it's going to be like in in that renewal when the Messiah comes. But he says in Ezekiel 36, verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He he says in verse 29, and I will deliver you from your uncleanness. So that idea of ceremonially unclean because of their sin and their idolatry, and then also the need to have a new spirit, to have the, the heart of stone taken out and have a heart of flesh put in and a new spirit this was part of what the Messiah was going to bring and what God was going to do in the Messianic age is he was going to change people's hearts and he was going to cleanse them. And not just for Israel, but also for all the nations. Um, he says in Ezekiel 37, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. He says in Ezekiel 39, when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel. He says in Joel chapter 2 that 
Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So this picture of the world is dry and like a desert, like a wasteland. And God is going to pour out his spirit like water on a dry and thirsty land. And the new life is going to form. There's going to be this river that that goes from Jerusalem to the whole world and it waters the whole earth and new creation will pop up everywhere that this river flows. That's what the Spirit did. The Spirit began at Jerusalem and then it, it, it branched out and ran all over the world and everywhere the Spirit went, new creation popped up. And we are that new creation. We are that palingenesia. We are those newly created ones. And so our job is to embrace that, that reality, live out that reality, and share that reality with others. Amen. Amen. And in and, and all of that, uh, even in this of going from better, uh, from good, better to best, uh, we even see that again in my personal favorite chapter in the book of Revelation where the end or this side of eternity ends. It shows that same story where uh, the Apostle John uh, walks through the New Jerusalem in uh, chapter 21. He sees proceeding or being poured out from the throne of God and the Lamb, the spirit of uh, the river of the water of life. Yeah. And shooting out on either side of that river is the tree of life. And you get this sense of all of this is coming from God. And the only person that isn't explicitly mentioned in there is the, the most incorporeal part of him, the, the life of, it, of the world, which is the spirit that is bringing us into new creation completed. And now all can uh, freely access it. Yeah, uh, in its totality, not yeah. just in this uh, uh, sweet tidbits or uh, t- uh, tantalizing tastes mm-hmm. of what's to come. Yeah, and I, I love, I love, and we we often talk about on the podcast the already and not yet aspects of of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And and so is new creation something that is coming or is it something that we're experiencing now? And the answer is yes, it's both. Is this is this new creation that the spirit brings is it now or is it later on? Yes, it's both. And so we're already experiencing what it is to be recreated through the spirit, but it's also something that the best is yet to come. Yeah. Also, I want to offer a just a thought as we as we kind of get towards the end of this episode about the spirit the i I i've been thinking a lot lately about the importance of having having an imagination with the spirit and i don't mean in like a some sort of fantasy uh you know like a fantasy Mm -hmm. type of imagination but in in a way of looking at the spirit with possibilities because i think you know we talk a lot about you know we're, you know, in the Church of Christ, you know, wherever two or more are gathered, you know, the, you know, the, the Spirit of God is with them, and 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 I think things like that just they kind of tip me off to. There's obviously a lot we don't know, but I think imagination is a way for us to be open, to be open to the possibilities and the potential of what the Spirit can do, and and I think being humble before that, 
is I know something I need a constant reminder of, like being humble before what can the spirit do and mending a relationship and mending a, you know, I, I mean, I, I've had experiences in my life that I can't explain where, um, even my heart was changed. My heart was changed about something that I thought I was sure about. And I, to this day, I can't tell you anything more specific, uh, that I've discovered about that, that, that other than that was the spirit. And then experiences like that make me think that I've barely scratched the surface of what the spirit can do in renewing and regenerating my own personal life, my own personal relationships, and so much bigger than that. So much bigger than that. Well, I think imagination is a great word because I, I think I think you're you're good for clarifying, giving that nuance that we're not talking about fantasy. Right. We're talking about being able to mentally picture what we're told is true, mm. though we can't see it. That's exactly what That's spirit great. is. Spirit is the spirit is the invisible presence of God. And so we cannot see God's presence and we can't see what God is doing. We can't see the spirit's work, but we believe that it's true. And so we have to picture it in our mind. Just like when I gather together to share the bread and cup with my church family, I'm also imagining all of the people throughout the world who are sharing it with us. And so I'm practicing good spiritual imagination. I think that's great to use that word because that's exactly what we have to do is imagine the possibilities and imagine the presence and imagine the the reality of what God is doing behind the veil, what God is doing in the spirit, what God is doing invisibly that has very tangible, very visible yeah. results that's how wind works. That's how that's how spirit works. Is the spirit of God works invisibly to empower and to equip and to change people. And we have to imagine that's what he's doing. And before that imagination, the only response to have is humility. The yes. only response you I think you can possibly have yeah. in that process is, wow, there's a lot I don't know, yeah. and you know, thank God that I'm that I'm allowed to be a part of this, that I'm allowed right. to be a part of the redeemed. Yeah, because in all of this, God is is infinity, is infinite. And when you talk about his spirit being possibility or imagination, you're dealing with yeah. infinite imagination, and we are most certainly finite. And mm -hmm. he wants us to play along or and come, come with and interact. Yeah, partner. Yeah. yeah. That... It defies logic to have a finite uh, being, a finite being, yeah. uh, and having finite creations help. It's so bizarre, yeah. and and yet that's the reality that we're in, and it's and we're the finite ones, and that's really humbling. Yeah. And I think humility is a great way to end this because that's exactly the posture that. Paul is telling Titus to impress upon the congregation and to all the churches with whom Titus works is that you must take on a posture of humility because this salvation that you're experiencing is not your own work. It's the work of the Spirit. I really hope you enjoyed this Bible study, and I hope you'll subscribe to hear future episodes of the podcast. A big thank you to Travis Pauly, as well as our McDermott Road Church family, for helping to make this podcast possible. And a special thanks to all of you for listening. We love you, God loves you, and we hope you have a wonderful day.